hopefully. You make sure there's no noise around you. Yeah, I, I, I closed my window. Uh, Inglewood Boulevard's getting kind of crazy. So, why? You know, the, the I have no idea. Probably because it's Boulevard Saturday. Or Inglewood? Uh, mix mix of both. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, like we you know we I'm I'm in Culver City, but uh, the um, like I'm not sure what's going on. But this morning there's there's like helicopters and trucks and stuff like that. So, um, that's just LA. I closed, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> um, the I I close my window and I'm kind of relying on the the noise cancellation of the Samsung Samsung mic. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it should be it should be fine. It's not bad. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I got a couple DMs from the last time we did this where um, they uh, they don't know who's who, man. We never identified ourselves. Oh, that that's a good point. Okay. So, I think. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Venture Bros. I'm Aziz. <laughs> and I'm Mo. Right. And if you have to identify us visually, I look like I'm chiseled by Michelangelo and Mo looks like coleslaw if it were human. <laughs> Um, no, I think, I think the, the best way to describe it is you, you, you look like an Arab Jeff Bezos and I look like Walmart Aziz. With one quintillionth his net worth, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. One, one, quint I think, I think that's a little over too, but one quintillion sounds about right. Something like that. Yeah. In case yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Warren asks. Anyways. <laughs> oh, by the way, we have to announce the winner from last time. Oh yeah, I can I can get into the one for the for the dollar amount the the, the fiat winner. But yeah. uh, congratulations, Shane. Uh, sounds like an awesome guy. I'm actually hopping on, hopping on a Zoom call with him later this coming Bean. week. But uh, congrats! <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Shane. You are now twenty five dollars richer, or one quintillionth <laughs> of Jeff Bezos' net worth richer. But uh, yeah, actually, out of uh, out of pity, I'm gonna I'm gonna transfer you one Dogecoin. So if you actually want to DM me. <laughs> If if you want to DM me your uh, your Doge wallet address, I will I will literally transfer you a Dogecoin, and we will record it or record your uh, reaction just to prove to people that I am a man of my word. Uh, oh, and congratulations to the winner of one Dogecoin, uh, Michel Asfour. Um, you are uh, a dollar richer. No, no, no. Sorry, wait, no. Twenty five cents, cents richer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Where's Where's Dogecoin at as of uh, this recording? Say opening. I, st I still think it's that. around 25 cents, but um, it's, it's exactly at 25 cents. <laughs> 0.25048. Right. So, you know, hopefully with the proper Elon Musk tweet, uh, Michelle, your net worth will go up by two cents. Yes. Agreed. And hopefully with the correct or with the wrong steps by Jerome Powell, Shane, your net worth will, will tank a little bit. Oh, exactly. Your buying power <laughs> your was buy never guaranteed yeah. as part of this competition. <laughs> we should, our, our our imaginary lawyers should have mentioned that already. Yeah. By the way, I, I already feel this like slowly kind of you know snowballing into a discussion about inflation, which then becomes a discussion about crypto again. So, that is very true. Yeah. By the that way, is... we have to have a jar in here for every time someone says crypto, you have to put a dollar in it or transfer a doge to it. We'll, we'll set up a wallet <laughs> for every time you yeah. say crypto or blockchain or distributed. Yeah, you, pay up. Do, do you know? You, do you know what we should do actually? So, how about a, a a lottery system? So we have a jar. Every time we mention Web three, crypto, Bitcoin, Doge, any of those terms, just like you said, we put something in there, and then per episode we have a draw 
of just like numbers, random numbers or or fifth person, seventh person to message us something gets to win I'm, that amount. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a legal reason we can't do that. <laughs> True. But uh, it's always, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm noticing that anything that has to do with regulation is, is, is not fun, unfortunately. So, yeah, which sadly is almost everything I do these days. Oh, I, I know, I know I've said it before, but the one thing I hate about this job is like, there's so much cool shit I'm doing at any one time and I can't tell anyone. And I'm certain there are people out there who think that I'm literally a bum who just plays flight sim at home all day, all night. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. I can kind of relate to that as well because my my nature even before I became a founder has always been like you know someone asked me how my day was and I just like unleash it's like oh we did this and this and this and we're working on this and that um not being able to do that is just killing me on the inside yeah 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 I'm I'm like uh I I will confess that I was the kid like if you told me a secret it took me all of three seconds to turn around and say like want to hear a secret <laughs> and <laughs> It just gives me such satisfaction and joy to let people in on it. And because like I'm a child and can't hold it in, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, now that there are legal implications, I can't do that. So same, same. Yeah. So if anyone's asking, we're working on cool shit and we can't announce most of the cool shit until the lawyer says, okay, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, well adulthood <laughs> anyways. Oh, wait. what? No, I was just gonna say that's that's uh, is, is the 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 kids nowadays call it adulting, just not being able to talk about shit. Um, yeah, you, you know how you know you're old. Uh huh. When you start calling the kids nowadays. <laughs> True. I I noticed when I was old, when I was on a Zoom call and I was pretty close to the monitor, and I looked down, and my head was like transparent. There, there's no hair left, and I was like, oh shit. You have the family curse of slowly starting to look like a dandelion as you age. And then one day there's a breeze. <laughs> it just, it takes just, away oof. that very last strand of hair. Yeah. Yeah. I and think then the, you just wake up and you're Homer. Yeah. <laughs> same, same weight, same body type, just all around Homer. Um, no, I was going to say it. like it's, but <laughs> actually Randy's donuts is dangerous. When you're here, we should avoid Go there once, but then avoid it at all. At all oh, costs. and man, I, I remember I went to undergrad in San Diego. I had Rose's Donuts. And by the way, Alcala Park, that street, literally right outside school. So Rose's Donuts was there, and it was the only place open at 3 a.m. when you know you spend Ooh. the evening crying over homework. Yeah, and, yeah. Or problem sets, as we call them in college, because that made a difference. And <laughs> oh, man, I could actually go for Rose's Donuts. I, so, so when you, another one, um, uh california donuts so that it's actually not nearby it's in k-town but um it's weird because they're very packed donuts but at the same time they're light because they use very light ingredients so you can like inhale an entire box and not even feel it it's it's terrifying dude i'm i'm on a diet anyways <laughs> and moving on let's do it speaking of <laughs> speaking of diets and second attempts mm -hmm. uh there was a very high profile second attempt in the markets recently Right, right, yeah. So uh, after you know, second time's a charm apparently for WeWork. So I think it was this Thursday they went um, they went public through a SPAC deal at a nine billion dollar valuation. Um, keep in mind when they went public for the first time, they were valued at what forty seven billion. Um, 
so you know quite the downgrade not 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 the best news for them but still adam newman is finding another reason to party and get really really drunk um but what i kind of wanted to talk about isn't necessarily we were going public but just how many things have gone public and have experienced a skyrocket or skyrocketing in prices so we were going public and going crazy bloomberg's been covering um trump's pack um and and his like whole digital services thing that's going insane because now it's a meme stock that is the um, ultimate example of being rewarded for bad behavior the fact that yeah. he is going to get so rich off of that stupid spec uh the, what people are saying is like he, he's making an amount of money that he hasn't seen before because he's a meme stock i i just well, can't wrap my head he, he can he can finally afford his his legal bills oh true true yeah but with with the 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 firepower of Rudy Giuliani and his sweating hair dye gone, uh, Lord knows what's going to happen. Um, but uh, oh, so so get, getting back to it, um, what I've noticed whenever we mention something about the market or stocks or whatnot is we always tend to look at it, look at specifically manias and resets from the mac macroeconomic perspective of like how does this affect generally speaking the economy and a country and a nation um but how does this translate into vcs and founders i think that's the main thing that i kind of want to focus on now so you know vcs okay. and founders are in basically a constant cycle of needing to raise funds maybe um uh invest in companies and industries that might be faltering might be going well so the the main question today is basically from your perspective how should vcs and founders um, take advantage of basically free money rather than sit this out. And if this enables you to take sort of bold bets, how do you hedge against those bets? I mean, look, okay. Let me let me let me. Uh, the first thing is when VCs look at the craziness that's happening in the market right now. Uh, one of the ways they justify the stupidity, and they will always justify stupidity. This has been true throughout history is that they look at public market valuations and say, oh, like, you know, terminal valuation of the ultimate winner is now, you know, $2 trillion. Therefore, $20 million for a seed round is not that crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's one thing, kind of looking for, for precedent and scaling up your expectations. Um, because there certainly was not a $2 trillion company pre-pandemic. Sure. Um, and then the, the other thing is, uh, to kind of divorce yourselves and your thought process from the public markets a little bit, you have to ask the question of, is financial performance truly improving um, or are we just kind of expanding multiples for no good reason? I mean, one thing I've heard is people investing in SaaS have been seeing companies go to 5 million ARR fairly quickly. So, you mm -hmm. know, how, how much of it is true, uh, you know, kind of market, how much of it is like true development of the market and expansion of overall economic opportunity and how much of it is just, you know, J-Pow hitting that printer? Yeah, I, th I think the 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 funny thing that I realized that I noticed on my timeline a couple of days ago was was the. Um, Can I clarify? Uh, J-Pow is Jerome Powell, and I mean by printer, I mean the super easy monetary policy. I know yeah. some of the people who listen to this podcast are over thirty five, and I have to you know be mindful of your feelings. <laughs> but right. <laughs> um, no, but but what I was going to ask was basically so the the added economic opportunity of say for example people deciding to work from home might present a very good um chance for SaaS startups to pound that so yep. we we will notice a, a a slight increase in arr however 
um, like Aaron Levy tweeted a couple of days ago, um, people are raising Series Cs at multiples of ARR that they haven't seen before. So the one he mentioned was a thousand X. Yep. Very stubborn. Oh, he he yeah right right right. He was the one. Right, right. He was the one that mentioned it, and he um, called it out. You know, he 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 called he uh you know he spoke of that elephant in the room, which is this is just crazy monetary and fiscal policy finally rearing its ugly head in the capital markets. I mean, not finally, it's been around, but um, people don't want to call that out. My personal state, my personal take is is it's a bit of both. You know, the 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 TAMs of a lot of businesses have shifted because of the change in kind of consumer and enterprise behavior. Um, that we've seen as a result of the pandemic and the fact that it did not revert to the long-term historical average as soon as the pandemic kind of sort of came to a close, like, you know, once we were over the 2020 phase. But um, uh, the other part of it is like, yeah, there is absolutely more cash sloshing sloshing around and that is going to bid up valuations. But that being said, I still think, you know, the best hedge against inflation is to have assets and good performing, you know, performing assets and where better than tech, at least in the last 18 months. But that is um, true. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if, if if I were to add something, I'd say that the we we have noticed the like the the quote unquote crazy markets rearing its ugly heads a little bit, rearing its ugly head a little bit, because um one of the bigger startups that used to be all the craze and now we're nothing is Clubhouse. And um I read this article recently that basically said um they they weren't expecting to grow that fast. So now that $4 billion valuation, all the money they raised, like they do have all the money, of course, but now they need to deal with the fact that they're not as crazy. And it cooled it, off. It, 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 it cooled off. And and we've noticed that not only with, with Clubhouse and with a lot of very remote first or, or very decentralized apps that we've, we've seen, but on top of it, we've also, you know, taking it back to WeWork, um, one, you know, it's another example of they went crazy. They tried to do something crazy, faced a ridiculous amount of backlash, and now they just proved to everyone that they were able to recover. Um, oh, but and I'm just, we work. We work is the best example of this. Is not macroeconomics. This is just you know plain vanilla stupid. Um, true. Look, let me let me. Okay, story time. So around <laughs> 2018. Um, I was in London for the summer and a friend of mine tells me, oh, there's this dude who you need to talk to. Um, he does uh, kind of Chinese hardware venture investments and uh, he's super knowledgeable and uh, he had a very interesting background. I don't want to go too into it in case I identify him because he, you know, some people may know. But um, um, I, I met him at a WeWork and uh, a couple of things struck me. is A, his net worth is like 50 times the net worth of pretty much anyone else on the floor of WeWork. And he was also twice the age. You know, and I spoke to him and I said, uh, you know, you have a sizable operation, a sizable fund, and, uh, you know, you're at a WeWork. I'm just saying most of your, you know, most comparable people in your position uh, would opt for, you know, a super over-the-top, highly customized, uh, you know, decked out office. You know, it being London, this is Marleybone. And Mm -hmm. um, if I botch saying that, don't ruin my DMs. But, uh, and he said, uh, he said, oh, you know, this, this, this company is a piece of shit. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know, they seem to be doing well. And I never really looked at him too closely, but it always looked weird to me um, that a, a real estate company was raising under, you know, the, the seed A, B, C type structure, as opposed to just whatever, you know, boring vanilla real estate finance. And uh, he said, oh no, this company's an absolute piece of shit. I mean, 
they have the worst tenants. Like it is the ultimate example of adverse selection. These people can't get a lease on a studio in the city, and now they're leasing these offices and WeWorks for multiple years. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm certain none of them make anywhere near enough to justify, uh, you know, the the non-existent deposits and, and the rest of that. And uh, you know, on top of it all, like you know, compare you know, compared to really any other REIT, a real estate investment trust. They're valued at like you know five six times what they should be, and people are convinced that this is a technology company. And he said, if if I went to their HQ and I unplugged literally every computer they have, does this business function any differently aside from being a little slower to lease out the space? I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah I, I see it. Yeah, that's this is some bullshit. You know, I, I don't I don't see how how this is passing as a technology company. They said, oh, we were using technology to maximize floor space. I'm like. You know, law firms use word processors to maximize productivity of of their staff. So I, this doesn't make it a tech company. Like you're still hmm. a real estate business. And then you know there were other examples of that, like sort of like Blue Apron, for example. Like you know, as soon as they hit public markets, their hmm. valuation reverted to nothing. Um, reverted to what it should be, like a f- kind of you know prepackaged food delivery business and not a tech business. And there were a lot of these IPO down rounds in the years prior to, um, in the years prior to to the pandemic. And I think one of the last high profile ones was WeWork because as soon as WeWork went public, you know, no nobody signed up. On, you know, their their order book was empty for the IPO shares, and mm-hmm. then they cut the valuation in half, and it was still empty. <clears throat> and then they cut the valuation in half again. And it was still, you know, uh, uh, an empty order book. And, and then it hit them like, yo, we have to withdraw this thing because clearly it's going to die. And the fact is so many high profile banks were running and managing this offering. It just, it blows my mind that it did not occur to anyone to maybe call bullshit. And that was the mania that WeWork was in. And, right. Uh, yeah. I, I think the, 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 it's a very interesting thing that you brought up Blue Aprons as well, Blue Apron as well, because it, there, it brings the need to 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 draw the line between actual tech companies and tech enabled companies, and right. you know the, the 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 what the years before the pandemic saw was basically tech enabled companies basically going oh we are this very massive cool next Facebook and we're going to go public off of that assumption with no financials or anything backing it. I mean, I, I just I just see it as. Oh, by the way, another thing we should mention in terms of like, you know, the story now is that where there's way too much money at every stage of venture. The story then was that there's way too much money in the later stages and the early stages are starved. Right. Because back then you had you had SoftBank. Right. You, you had SoftBank and you had a lot of people who typically were not direct investors in venture. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were they were backing significant rounds in the growth stages. And yeah, it's so... Yeah, it's a bit of a paradigm shift, but you know these weird quirks that you see, these deviations from the long-term norms in every particular moment, um, or, or sort of an you know if, if we segment this by multiple-year periods, uh, characterized by how much people had deviated by the norm, um, you start to see similarities in the kind of inefficiencies and incongruencies that we see. Uh, including explosion of late stage valuations from 2017 to 2019, and now it's just you know cash money everywhere, 2020, 2021. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 
you know, if, if there weren't these SPACs to, to rescue people in the later stages who could not go through a conventional IPO, I kind of wonder what would the long-term effects be of investors not seeing enough exits? Mm. Um, that, it's possible yeah, that the that, IPOs would not happen. It's possible we would start seeing enormous M&A because, you know, cash is everywhere and debt is cheap and it's all over everyone's balance sheet. It's possible. I mean, we're talking about, you know, theoretical alternate universes, but it's, yeah. it's you know. It, yeah, I, I think you, you brought up actually a very interesting point about um, that's the this is the norm that we tend to see in GovTech, at least in my industry. Um, the the way that this industry is set up is basically you just have a couple of whales and then um, any company that starts to show promising signs either gets acquired by them or merged with them. And um, there has been no news of an IPO in at least recent history in that in that industry. So um, it seems to be that, that that is the standard simply because in some industries, companies can't just aren't yet, yeah, just like you mentioned, are not able to go through that traditional IPO process. Um, Although I, I I wanted to kind of transition it over from the funds perspective to the founders perspective because if I'm the CEO or C whatever of a company that's um, either trying to raise money or has raised money and is trying to weather the storm um, and and a storm of uncertain length, um, the 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 thing that pops up in head pops up in mind is basically how do I do that? Or how do I do that in the most risk averse way? Because I want to take these bold bets. I want to, I don't want to wait another two years and sit this one out. Um, I have to ask then, in the age yeah. of endless euphoria, what's the storm? Hmm. The, the, the storm is when the endless characteristic stops being when, when, when the euphoria stops being described as endless, basically that's, that's the best way I would put it. As in when sooner or later the music stops and the market's correct or that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So, See, so I think I think that's just I mean, you're basically asking for clairvoyance on the part of, of founders, but um, if it were me or if I were a founder today, I think one of the quote unquote storms I I would be hit with was my VCs believing that I'm not growing as fast as the competition and therefore I need to keep raising and burning. Right. That that makes sense. And it, it's always like on top on top of it basically being that um, the the cash that you have on hand, assuming you're a pre-revenue company, mm -hmm. is not enough to last you that 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 quote-unquote correction. So, you know, a little bit of story time on my end as well. So, um, Abstract, the company I co-founded, was fortunate to be a little too early during the March 2020 crash. So, we we started initially at the beginning of 2020 when March hit. It was just us three co-founders. Um, it was very simple for us to kind of wrap up school, graduate, and then go, you know, each of us went back to our homes. I went back to Kuwait, uh, worked, was able to raise like a little amount of money during that time. And it wasn't until late July of this year that we actually moved back and got to work as a team and started hiring people and do all, doing all of that. So going into one of the previous rounds that we did, the main advice that we basically got from uh, one investor at the time that we were talking to was, you need to raise assuming that you're going to weather a storm. So this economy is uncertain and you need to be able to have a specific amount of money to not only, first of all, assuming your pre-revenue, assuming like no money other than these checks are going to come in, um, to not only live a really long time, but on top of it, step on the gas. Because just like you said, you know, VCs will not necessarily 
um, they, they, they'll take the whole crazy markets as, as an assumption, but at the same time, they basic they, they, they need to um, see growth, simply put. And, and regardless of how the markets are doing, if you're in an industry that's kind of well, they need to see that hockey stick type growth and you need to be able to reflect that as, as, as a founder. I mean, in almost every conceivable in instance um, throughout the history of venture, there's far greater risk in, ris in raising too little money than there is in raising too much. That's true. Um, I'd, I'd much rather be the founder who has a little extra in the coffers than not enough. Um, I think, I mean, I wish we could do like a proper post-mortem of companies that had truly uh, raised too little. But uh, one thing you learn being in this industry is that it's an industry that very quietly buries its dead. There's yeah. really good and, PR and, spin around success and then, um, you know, hush hush around the right. failures. And, and, and a fun, like slight, and we, we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes, but that was the original idea of this podcast of like talking about, founders of those dead companies and what went wrong or like how they came across obstacles yeah. and fixed them nobody wanted to talk. Uh, but nobody wanted to talk and it's curious because like being a first-time founder and and being the age that i am um which we'll talk about this at the end but if you can guess my age there might be a prize uh <laughs> um just being the age that i am and being a first-time founder it's very difficult to learn about specific lessons simply because no one wants to talk about them yeah also i mean to be candid with your weaknesses is uh something you only do when you're in a position of strength like it's easier for me to, with like a net worth of one and a half billion dollars to talk about that one investment that's screwed up as opposed to talking mm -hmm. about that one investment screwed up when i'm you know 50 grand in debt and live in my parents house right it's all about that, how you present it that is true that is true and being in los angeles there's a lot of uh Hollywood magic, aka uh, PR spin. And, PR spin. Yeah, basically. But I mean, that reminds me. I I, mm -hmm. uh, I read a book actually not too long ago by uh, David Ogilvy uh, mm -hmm. called Ogilvy and Advertising. So, um, look, Ogilvy is considered like uh, the father of the modern like Madison Avenue advertising business. If you've watched Mad Men, then he was the real, actual, real life Don Draper. Um, so Ogilvy is the founder of Ogilvy and Mather, which still exists today and still considered a heavyweight on Madison Avenue. He's responsible for like some really high profiles of certain brands in the U.S. that weren't high profiles before his involvement, like Dove, Rolls Royce, uh, and even Puerto Rico is like the ideal uh, vacation destination for folks on the East Coast who want to kind of get away from the big city. Um, those were all that was all his work, and Puerto Rico actually, he said, was his uh, was what he was most proud of because he was able to change the perception of an entire culture. I mean, it went from the place nobody wants to go near to being the ideal vacation destination. Um, you know, Ogilvy was a, he was a genius as far as like advertising is concerned. Like his massive insight was um, he basically made the argument that the successful sale of any good or service is based on having exceptionally detailed information about the consumer. Uh, he famously said the, the, the customer is not a moron, she's your wife. He rejected the prevalent practice of like speaking to the consumer in a patronizing way with generalized language. And instead, he chose to appeal to individual intellect at the individual level. Like he was speaking between, you know, kind of two people sitting on a park bench and he had to make his case. 
And mm. if you look back to when he really started working, like in the 1960s, like, you know, you rewind 10 years and uh, almost every ad is patronizing. Every one of them is like, you're an idiot and I know better. Um, I can I can honestly put together a whole podcast of just like shit ads from the 50s and why they didn't sell anything. And I'm not anyone with like a marketing background. It's just so apparent to me, I guess, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, and now that I have decades of of newer work to compare to, I can kind of see the fa the fallacies. But one point he did concede is that details only go as far, um, they only go so far, and the efficacy of of any campaign can't ultimately be attributed to overly specific factors. Now, David Ogilvy died in France in nineteen ninety nine. And I have to wonder what Ogilvy would have said about the age of online advertising, where you know a stunning amount of information about each and every individual user. Until hmm. recently. Right. Right. So, you know, iOS, um, and I'd love Ogilvy's opinion on this too, but iOS, um, they, implemented, uh, they implemented a number of changes that made it harder to link user behavior across apps and mobile websites. Um, and it used to be possible to track, you know, not only what ads somebody clicks on or what they view, but also their browsing habits on apps and websites afterwards. So you can imagine this generated hyper-targeted, high-conversion ads. This would have been, you know, inconceivable to someone who thought the ultimate generate uh, the ultimate, you know, um, uh, hyper-targeted ad was a billboard, right? right? So now, you know, you've all seen this with the iOS updates, but you need to opt in to allow the tracking. And the stunning number is that only 4% of users are agreeing to that kind of intrusive tracking. This means advertisers basically need to run a whole lot more ads, obviously at higher cost, to get the same number of clicks and conversions. Hmm. So, you know, for a lot of startups in the consumer space, this really sucks. I mean, Apple, look, they're running this program on the side, by the way, called SCAN, S-K-A-N which allows for some like closer tracking similar to what used to exist prior to iOS 14 updates. But they've limited the number of campaigns you can run with Scan Active, and it introduced something, um, it introduced a time delay to the behavior data. So you can't act on it as immediately as you could before. Um, Interesting. And, and they, still, um, they still make it uh, impossible to track, uh, you know, at the, sort of the individual user level. So, so speaking about it, asking a question from the consumer perspective right um what i see as an apple consumer is basically that apple's kind of being a hero at the expense of corporate profit and their main mission is now all of a sudden pr protecting the privacy and and the the data of their consumers and they're basically kind of angling the company um to serve the good of society basically is that kind of what it is internally? Do, do you see it that way as well? Yeah, I think I think Apple has really stepped up and they care about our individual rights. No, of course not. Listen, <laughs> Apple still provides like detailed user data for anyone signing up for their in-house ad service, okay? Oh, so, that's where the monopoly comes in. That right, that's it. That's Apple being Apple again, because again, right. they don't care about you. So <laughs> anyways, so search ads, I promise this will not become a crypto speech. They don't care about us. <laughs> they own all our data um, and they get to do what they want because they're Apple, right? So mm -hmm. search ads, you know, has th those things have really, really taken off since these changes have come into effect. So search ads, if you're not familiar, offers the slots above search results in the app store when you search for an app um, on any iOS device. So if you search for Facebook, you know, you know, Twitter can buy the, the, the um, 
the keyword and have Twitter's app shown first and that kind of a thing. So right. Apple's share of iPhone app downloads, and I, I've checked this number, I'm sure of it. Apple's share of iPhone app downloads that result from clicking on an ad went from 17% to 58% over the course of six months after these iOS changes were introduced. Wow. Yeah. So uh, can we go on again about how much uh, they love the user and, and they're willing to sacrifice uh, profit oh, for our... Yeah. Uh, those you know. those those feel good ads about the the lock button and how the your iPhone is just yours. Yeah, they 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 totally make sense right now. Yeah, the iPhone is just yours until, of course, the Chinese Communist Party asks us for access. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay, Tim Cook. Okay. Anyways, so, so social media stocks, by the way, were down because Snap. You know, they barely missed their targets. By the way, so kudos to them. They barely mm-hmm. missed their targets because of these changes which the CEO has articulated publicly. Um, and now everyone thinks the end of social media is here because their ads are simply not as effective as they once were. Now, I don't think that's the case, but I think we're, we're definitely going to start seeing financial effects. Um, right. And what blows my mind is that Apple, uh, quote, cannot confirm that their own practices are compliant with their own policies. Hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> and others are fearing retaliation by Apple in case they publicly air their grievances. Uh, which is understandable if you're in the ad business. That's true. Yeah. So this wasn't really, you know, this uh, 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 this great love for humanity and their collective right to privacy as it much as as much as it was just this uh, kind of massive land grab in the advertising market share space. Mm-hmm. Room, you know. Um, right. But but you know we're not going to let Android off the hook. So Android is actually implementing some like user tracking changes as well. Um, but they're kind of benefiting at least in the short term from the increased ad spend on their platform because some of the smaller advertisers are focusing there a little more just kind of shift away from Apple and still get proper ROIs on their marketing spend. Um, but you're starting to see this affect various sectors to varying in varying degrees. Um, e-commerce by the way, is like one where this is like abundantly clear. So, um, remember when I said Apple introduced like generalized stats and time delays of user behavior, um, This makes things especially hard for smaller e-commerce businesses because typically they need to convert on user browsing habits in under 72 hours to to really get the sale. So their Mm. acquisition costs are increasing. And another thing is since they're focusing on Android more so than iOS, the average earnings or the average, say, socioeconomic standing of a person with an Android device is lower than that of a person with an iOS device. So obviously this correlates with smaller basket sizes, smaller average orders, and so on. Right. So the question now is, is this you know, kind of ad business um, land grab going to start really affecting the, uh, uh, you know, the e-commerce business model? Especially if you yeah. know, the, the smaller you are, the more you're affected. I mean, it's, you know, they don't really have the, the leeway when it comes to you know, shifting uh, marketing resources, you know, they, they, they stick to their guns and they operate in a particular area and most e-commerce businesses under like 90% make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. So this is going to have right. a material impact on their top and bottom line. That is true. I mean, I mean, it, I'm trying to envision myself in a situation where I'm in dire need of very recent data in order to shift the core functionality of my business. And when the time delay is introduced and that that just presents two things. First of all, it means that I'm going to need to seriously take a look at not only my business model, but also the tech that I have 
um, to make sure that I'm still providing relevant content to, you know, the Lord knows how many consumers that I have. But also on top of it, it gets to it gets to the point where wanting to do anything related to advertising, Apple just seems like the best, if not the only option at this point. Well, well, what are you marketing, right? So mm-hmm. where they've really, really um, gained ground is in uh, new app downloads. Mm-hmm. So if you're launching something new and trying to get, uh, uh, you're trying to increase your kind of MAU count or whatever it may be, then then obviously, yeah, more, more of your marketing spend is going to end up in Apple's pockets. But right. uh, it remains to be seen you know, just how much this affects others. So the only solid number that I can get for a real kind of marketplace spend shift is for the new iOS app downloads, where Apple mm. clearly, clearly is eating everybody's cake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the the obvious, the most obvious change we're going to notice is there, just like I mentioned, for any sort of business, there's going to be a very obvious decision when it comes to who to spend marketing dollars on. So... Yeah. You know, I I think what 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 Apple has executed perfectly, regardless of whether it's just a dirty corporate move or whether it's just a genuine strategy, is they're trying to lessen the options for people who want to do anything at this point. So, you know, I, I'm I'm jumping to an extreme case. Imagine if I was a founder of a business that made phone covers, even. Yeah. Um, do I want to make individual phone covers for? the OnePlus phones, the Samsung phones, the Google phones, the Huawei phones, or do I just want to make one for the single Apple one? And just because Apple has such a massive market share and people who pay for iPhones would probably pay for those cases, should I just go that way? Because it's the it's, it's basically the, the, the path of least resistance. Um, and I think they're basically, Apple is aware of that and they're taking that into the social media industry or or the advertising or e-commerce industry they're basically trying to say if i'm if i want to go after consumers who i know are going to spend money why not go after apple consumers yeah well one thing i can tell you that has happened already is um uh, some startups have noticed like basically a doubling of uh, their acquisition costs um since the ios change and uh, it, it caused you know, it, there was real consternation. I got to say, like, it, and and a lot of them were kind of left scratching their heads, wondering how they're going to explain this new CAC to their to their board. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, just kind of look at them and say, hey, you know, we pieced together this this rock star marketing team over the last couple of years, and lots of a lot of it with your help over the last couple of months, and and now they're just not as efficient as we had hoped, and this really changes the game for us. The the, the business model has shifted. Um, Right, but you know. By the way, did you hear about Michael Burry? Um, he had he had puts on some social media stocks, didn't he? Oh, really? I I've just been paying paying attention to his whole thing with Tesla, but uh, I would not be surprised, honestly. He that that guy has a good eye, as as history has told us. Yeah, don't make fun of his eyes, man. What's mean? Oh, <laughs> I honest that that went over my head. That that's on me. Michael, yeah. if if Michael ever finds this podcast and listen to this episode, um, please don't short any company that I founded. I'm a big fan. He will find a way to short abstract despite you. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Michael Burry, if you're listening, I will sacrifice my brother to win you over. Anyways. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Mom doesn't listen um, to this. I can get away with this stuff. 
True. Yeah. True. Actually, hold on a second. Michael Burry is actually still bullish on Facebook. I stand right. corrected. He He's bullish on Facebook, according to Yahoo Finance, as of October twelfth. Yeah, I remember in in like in in Scion Capital's last thirteen F, they did say that he increased his position in Facebook, which is very very interesting. I think it might be their whole push into the metaverse, which can honestly be its own podcast episode. But um, the 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 question that I kind of want to transition to is social media in general. So so Snapchat tanked what thirty percent after hours, yeah, uh, because they barely missed barely missed um, earnings expectations. But then on top of it, they had the whole thing with Apple. So do you think that that is a new trend that social media industry or e-commerce industry investors are going to start noticing just just a general downtrend the next coming months maybe the fact that the fact that the ad business is no longer what it was right I mean look yes and no I, I don't think mobile ads are anywhere near uh, at risk of disappearance okay mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I, I still think in the immediate term, people are being way too harsh on right. way too harsh on, on, uh, you know, snap, for example, like just to clarify on October 21st, snap was at around $75 and it's now trading at around 55. They missed by 0.03 billion. It was barely, <laughs> barely a revenue miss, but apparently people think that this is the beginning of, you know, a sustained downtrend. Otherwise, I really have no other explanation for why they hit it this bad. It's yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you, you were saying this is this is this is to them what Prop Twenty Two was to Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what happens to social media? Is it the continued Yahooification of Uber, mm. or is it the introduction of you know new services that can be built on top of their data, a la DoorDash? Right. I mean, I, I honestly think those those like the the C suite and execs at all of those companies are really going to need to do a lot of thinking because, just like you mentioned, I think that was a great analogy. That this is social media's Prop Twenty Two, um, something that was core to their business model is now no longer valid. So what they basically need to do is, you know, stop looking at the charts because their stocks are going to keep going down. If I was me being a retail investor, if I was a, a, a institutional investor, I wouldn't even want to put my money in something that that whose, whose core business model is facing that sort of reckoning. But it's just seeing, okay, how can we adjust to this? I think um, much like the founders of tiny e-commerce businesses that now can't get data with their with with Apple's like delay of user behaviors and all their privacy uh, moves and tactics in the recent you know, a couple of months, they basically need to sit down and go, okay, uh, we thought ads work, building our, own, building our own ads ecosystem is no longer the best choice. Relying on that just no longer works as, as, a, sore, as a sole source of revenue. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't have an answer for that, but what's, it's just what's the next steps for them? Yeah, so now when people say data is the new oil, they were talking about the oil market of 2014 to 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not 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 the weird checkmark V type recovery that it did in the past month, but but just the the downtrend part. Yeah, right. The sad part. Yeah, yeah. By but the way, this is this is the, not the only this is not the only example of um being unable to properly utilize data. Right. 
I mean, uh, the, you know, you have the Zillow and Open Door saga, right? So oh, Open Door is kind too. of expanding into new markets. Um, you know, they're they're definitely doubling down on the adding assets to the balance sheet sort of. Uh, uh, you know the, the future of the marketplace. Really, you know, they really want to offer the real wow customer service, and therefore they start actually buying the homes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Zillow, I think, tried to emulate that, and uh, kaput. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember checking out the uh, some recent headlines that basically said, yeah, they're they're putting that home buying or home flipping business operation on hold, and and that caused a little a little uncertainty. Uh, to to with with like investors basically, um, but so so going back to the original original like company or corporation we started on, and and I want us to put our Elizabeth Warren hats a little bit. So if if Apple with a Ew. single decision, <laughs> if if Apple with a single decision can cause this much turmoil to not only tiny e-commerce businesses but social right. media giants like Snap. How long can they get away with not basically not complying with policies in general and also their own policies? Um, given how things went with Epic, a really long time. Mm. Uh, listen, uh, Tim Cook's legal strategy is I will drag this through the courts for as long as you and I are still breathing and I will have my way. Right. And yeah. I don't think he's going to budge on that. I, I don't think so too. I mean, I think I think they're they're very much taking a, uh, you know, I I know for a fact that all of the execs at Apple knew what they were getting into, and I would love to see the the headcount numbers of each department there, but I would not be surprised if I noticed a massive uptick in like the legal department right Dude, before. As of all five these years ago, I think I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure of this, but as of five years ago, I think they were getting sued 300 times a day. So clearly, they have some you know wow. penchant for uh, uh, you know they got a fight in them. True, true, exactly. So they 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 haven't la lost that that ferocity basically of of you know now that they're a corporate, they they can still move and litigate at startup pace, right? Startup with a ton of funding pace. Um, but, um, well, people don't always litigate to win, right? They, they litigate to stall true. and have their way. True. True. Kind of like Trump, but that's, that's right. We, we'll, we'll leave that in the other topic. Um, yeah. also but, not every uh, listener of this podcast is a hardcore Democrat. So <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. <laughs> orange man. Good. Um, Come back. Listen, <laughs> unless you're a Democrat, then orange man, bad, orange um, man, bad, orange man, bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish there was some sort of like conditional podcast episodes. Of depending on who you are, you get to listen to different episodes. Um, we should start actually, labeling them be. Democrat friendly, Republican friendly, <laughs> and then like, the one libertarian episode like goes through the roof and reaches like <laughs> meme stock status, except with a podcast. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think. The sort of last question in this whole Apple saga is basically, will so one thing you mentioned towards the end is basically that there's a lot. There were a lot of smaller e-commerce businesses that depended on like a ridiculously low customer acquisition cost and, and right. super high churn to get like the small percentage that they need to make some general or reasonable progress in ARR. Mm -hmm. um, will they need to? Do you think that they'll need to? Sh face that same type of prop 22 reckoning 
I mean, I think it's highly dependent on the business, right? So, mm -hmm. again, think of what happened to the data. Okay, it's time delayed, and it's generalized. Okay, now, yeah. in terms of the time delay, the less time sensitive your business is, the less likely, or, or the less time sensitive whatever your core product offering is, then the less likely that you are going to uh, uh, get slammed, right? Mm -hmm. um, you are not likely to get hurt um, if the demand for your product kind of endures over days. In other words, if I can predict that you need this item on day zero, what is the likelihood that you continue to need it on day three, four, five? What's the likelihood that you'll continue to need it seven days out, 14 days out, 21 days out? You know? Right. And, then, and that's basically kind of like a mix of customer lifetime value and, and cohort retention of just making sure that the people you kind of onboard in early stages just remain for the entire life cycle of the product. Right, right. And you know, there's you know, there there are other there are other issues there. Um, so there's time delay and then there's the generalization aspect, right? So if you generalize mm -hmm. it, you are no longer able to attribute the demand to sort of specific individuals in a specific area. And if I'm not mistaken, it kind of goes up to geography where it's geofenced geofenced by, you know, like you know, zip code or multiple city blocks depending on where you are in the States. Right. Um, if you have this kind of mass appeal, then generalization, I assume, is not very likely to hurt you. If you're targeting, you know, if you're if you're a car salesman and you're selling cars over a five ten zip code area where your potential buyers can come from you, that data being generalized is not as likely to harm you as much as something that will be sold person to person uh, one time over uh, a very a much smaller kind of geographic footprint. So that mom and pop pizza shop um, is not is going to be paying way too much to get in front of their potential customers if they're also advertising to people who live way far away and not are, are not likely to to buy from that specific place. Right. So now I think I think what what gets me concerned and excited at the same time is basically that you know some of these companies that are facing a reckoning with their business model might be too big of ships to steer around. Um, not saying that they're going to go belly up anytime soon, but what's going to be very exciting is just to keep an eye out on any small, very slow, very quick startups that pop up with a business model from the get-go um, that would be able to adopt to Apple's strict decisions, to policies that exist about getting data, or just or just developing tech that is optimized to take in delayed user data i think do you, do you know what kind of startups be... i have i do you know what startups i have my eye on in the mm -hmm. data analytics space yeah i think what's going to start happening in advertising is something akin to what happened to uh the financial data space like you know 10 15 years ago so once once financial data became kind of you know available en masse um pretty much all the alpha um, or the returns generated uh, over the returns of the general marketplace. Um, that was all kind of, it, it was gone. Everyone was crowding the same trades because everyone had the same data. So what happened was, you know, there was a, a shift in demand for alt data. And alt data created this like massive marketplace of API data APIs um, intended for everyone from casual traders to high frequency traders on Wall Street um, to kind of create um trading models based on data that didn't really occur to anyone kind of tr trained in classical finance um you know one of one of the best examples um do you remember the movie the social network at the very beginning when like zuck is talking to his girlfriend at a bar um, oh right, right right and he's like uh 
yeah, so if you get um, weather pattern data, you can kind of guess the natural gas demand um, based on how cold it's expected to be in certain areas. You know, at the yeah. time, that pitch was kind of revolutionary. Like, oh wow, that's eye opening, and I've never seen that correlation before. And now that specific trade is also kind of competed to death, and there's just no alpha left in it. I mean, everyone everyone does that. And mm -hmm. as time goes on, we get more and more, um, you know, bizarre data sets that generate, you know, kind of actionable correlations that generate returns. Um, and there are people who do this all day, all night. Um, in, in the financial space, returns from bizarro data mm -hmm. have been kind of evidently clear in places that do it almost infinitely better than anyone else. Um, right. so there's a lot of quant hedge funds that focus on this kind of a thing. You know, there's two Sigma, there's world quant, there's a lot of smaller places on wall street, but then there's, there's just the gold standard, which is Rentech, um, Renaissance technologies, the Jim Simons. Uh, oh fund. yeah. So right. they're so incredibly massively good that they have generated mind boggling returns. Um, mm -hmm. and they no longer, you know, accept new investors even. Um, but let, let me, show you, let me just to show you how insanely good they are industry standard is kind of two and 20 in terms of fees so it's two percent management fees on assets under management and 20 percent of the profits generated that goes to the partners right mm -hmm. um their fees are five and 44. wow yeah five percent management fee 44 percent take of carry and in terms of just straight cash returns it still makes sense for their lps that's what truly differentiated data can do for your returns and I still believe in the grand scheme of things, after things like this iOS change, something similar will start happening in the data space um, for advertisers. We're going to start seeing much more alternative data come, come in. There's the, the mass APIification of the space is going to happen. And we are going to start seeing um, you know, kind of similar strategies um, uh, pop up. There, there, there's definitely going to start being you know spend moving away from Facebook to wherever can generate the most ROI. No different from where, um, you know, limited limited partners for. Uh, no different from where investors were when they looked at Renaissance Technologies returns and started shifting money there. Um, and if they start limiting how much money can pursue each of these strategies, um, you, you know, wh whoever can actually get in on it and find that actionable data is going to start seeing some crazy ROI. Yeah, yeah, and and quick book recommendation before we get into like one more what if and and, and wrap up. Um, Regarding uh, Jim Simons and the re uh, the Renaissance Fund, uh, the man who solved the markets, uh, highly recommend it. Talks about the history of Jim Simons, um, his life before Renaissance, what he did during, you know, the time where they were collecting that data and setting up the fund, and you know, because keep in mind he started all the stuff even before computers or laptops, when they used to take the size of rooms. So that the 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 manual processes and physical processes that he had in mind to go get all this data is, is just mind boggling and highly recommend that. But the, the, what if that I kind of wanted to ask, and I kind of want to leave, leave, you know, kind of working in all the listeners, listeners minds, um, as, as an ending note for this episode is, so there will be a rise of all data in the e-commerce space that will compete with Apple's delayed user data, um, or the social media space or, or, or what, whatever it may be. However, I know we said we're not going to talk about crypto, but it has to come up at this point. Um, with marketplaces nowadays becoming decentralized, monitoring each individual user's behavior on them is going to be more 
difficult or if there is a powerful force behind it, yep. it's going to bring the need for some sort of centralization again. So I'm very no. curious to see what how those two parties are going to butt heads over. We need very updated data in order to sell, in order to keep customer acquisition co costs low versus this is decentralized because we're trying to fight that. Yeah. Right. And I, look, I, I think DSO is going to be more and more of a thing. You know, there's the rise of BitClout um, recently. Mm. Um, now, it hasn't gotten to the point where it's overtaken Twitter or anything like that. But, you know, there, there were some people who were kind of active on BitClout. Um, right now, I think these standard centralized social media companies are going to reign over the social space, at least for the foreseeable future, um, where, where, where we're going to start seeing. Um, where we're going to start seeing some action is in alternative advertising methods. Like, you know, I, it's hard to conceive of right now, but when someone finds something to spend money on aside from Facebook's ad product um, to help them increase a small SME's ROI on their marketing budget, yeah, you know, I feel that would be an acquisition target for the established socials. Um, so that's, I think, where we're going to start seeing a lot of kind of corporate activity. Uh, and a lot of VC money flow to because right. um, this is uh, it's a monumental expense for any business. This is the money you're spending to bring in money. And if it doesn't bring in as much money, that's worrying. It becomes a problem. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now fired up for this. I'm actually going to go on uh, seed scout and start looking for uh, <laughs> some people, <laughs> some people doing right. stuff in that space, have a few calls, see what happens. Right. I, I have taken a couple of notes that I hope to reflect into abstract sometime soon, which for horrible reasons, again, legal adulting stuff I can't talk about. Right. You know, by the way, yeah. one day these things will be public and then we can boast about them on this particular podcast. But until then, you have to keep thinking we're bums who do nothing. Agreed. Agreed. Until then, we're just some bros on different sides of the planet that decided or to rephrase that our mom forced us to make a podcast. Yeah. Mom said we should make a podcast. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, what episode five now. Um, hope yeah. you guys hope, hope the audio issues were kept to a minimum. Hope you guys enjoyed it um, until we get to talk about the very cool shit. Uh, make sure to follow Aziz and I on Twitter um, or follow the venture bros uh, Twitter account at venture bros show. Um, our, our personal Twitter accounts are in the bio. Um, what else? Let's see. Uh, just like I mentioned halfway through the show, let's see. I, I, I need to check Twitter, Twitter to make sure my age isn't on there or my birth date isn't on there. But if you're a new listener who can correctly guess my age, I will... Also, Venmo you twenty five bucks. That's, that's, that's I'll, I'll give that's, you a clue. He is not yet legal in eight states. <laughs> okay, <Not> true. <true. laughs> Maybe. Anyways, mm -hmm. all right. I'm Aziz, and I'm Mo. And until next time. Until next time.